Romans chapter 8, verse number 28, says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And whom He called, them He also justified. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? You know, one of our church themes this year, see on the sign back here, sowing and growing. We're going to talk about growing. And quite often with growing, we have growing pains. How many of you know some of those growing pains right now? It's still growing, still growing pains all throughout our life. It starts as a little baby when there's teething, and there, it just it's a pain you have to deal with, you have to live with. As a toddler, then the, the touching the heat lamp, you know. Oh, wow, that was pain. Okay, growing pains. And it, it continues. And then if you want to build muscle and be stronger, you have to work those muscles. You have to experience a little more pain. And the more harder you push, the, the more you'll experience that growth. We as Christians often experience growing pains in our spiritual life. There are hardships, there's difficulties, there's circumstances that God allows. And He has a purpose for it. He wants those spiritual muscles to grow stronger. Our church, when it grows, as it grows, will experience growing pains. The flexing of our spiritual muscle as a church. But God's got a purpose for it. He's got a plan for it. And according to Romans chapter 8, verse 29... He's conforming us to the image of His Son. So God's allowing us to experience those growing pains so that we become more like God. We're going to have growing pains all throughout our life, but especially through our spiritual life. How do we get through these growing pains? How do we become better through these growing pains? Well, according to this passage, it's only by living our life God's way. So that's my question for you this morning. Are you living your life God's way? Are you letting these growing pains make you more like Christ? God, I pray this morning that you would teach us the truth of this passage. It's been a blessing to me as I've studied it, Lord. and I pray that it's a blessing to each one that's here. I pray that your truth ring true in our hearts and that we would change to be more like you, that we would truly surrender to your way in our life, whatever that looks like. Do a work as only you can. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's only two ways to live your life, God's way or your way. You can live it according to the world or you can live it according to the word. There's not three ways. There's only two. Proverbs 16.25 says, There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. If you live your life the wrong way, you're living your life towards death. We could put it this way, that 
you're living your life your way is death to your marriage. Living your life your way is death to your family. Living your life your way is death. And if you're unsaved, it's eternal death for all of eternity. But those are the only two choices. It was in November 1975. There were 75 convicts that were in a prison, and they decided to dig a tunnel to find their way out. We love writing stories about this, so they're digging this tunnel. 75 of them, and it's in uh, Santelo Prison in northern Mexico. And it was April 18th, 1976, that they finally busted through the concrete to what they thought would be freedom. They all got out and suddenly realized they were in the exact courtroom that sentenced them to their prison sentence. And there was the judge standing right before them, sent them all right back to prison for a lifelong sentence. They thought their way was right. They thought their way would lead to freedom, but their way led to death. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Psalm 16, 11 says, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 37, verse 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. So when Paul wrote to the church at Rome, he covers two main themes. The first 11 chapters covers the theme of salvation. The second part of the book, from chapter 12 all the way to the end, cover the theme of surrender. We find ourselves in chapter 8, and he's going to talk to us this morning about how to live God's way. Verse number 28 is a familiar verse. It says, We know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. Now we learn what His purpose is for us in verse number 29. What is His purpose for us? For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. So if we're going to live life God's way, We've got to choose, first of all, God's goal for our life. We've got to choose God's goal for our life. How do we choose God's goal for our life? Well, if we ask the average Christian, why did God save you? Ask them that question. Why did God save you? Typically, the response is going to be so that we wouldn't have to die and go to hell for all of eternity, so we could be with God forever in heaven, right? Well, that is a wonderful benefit of salvation, but I think from God's perspective... And according to this verse, God's purpose for saving you from his standpoint is so that he could make us into his image, so we could have Christ-likeness be to the glory of God. We cannot be Christ-like on our own. We cannot achieve Christ's image on our own. That's only something God can do, just as we can't achieve salvation on our own. That's a work of Christ and him alone, not any work of our own. But when you got saved, you had God's grace and the free gift of salvation. In this passage, we have God predestinating you for his image. So what in the world does that mean? Well, this 
predestinating word. Let's look at it. Pre means before. Destined means destiny, right? So God had a predestiny. He had a planned, a plan for when we would get saved. What does this look like? Well, of course, there's a big argument about this. And if you're not caught up in that argument, praise the Lord, don't get caught up in it. Because this is really simple. God uses in his word, this word predestination, four times. Just four times. And every time he uses it, he's dealing with the sanctification of a Christian. He's dealing with growing in grace. He's not dealing with salvation here. He's talking to believers that are already saved. So this predestination is predestination to grow in grace as a Christian after we've already received the free gift of salvation. Salvation is a free gift. Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. God's word is clear. Let's get rid of the theology that says God has chosen some people to heaven and some people to go to hell. That's not in God's word. It's not part of the Bible. God has predestinated you and me, to carry out the plan that God had in mind before the foundation of the world, before we ever got saved, but it was for us to become like Christ as Christians. It's for the saved. His plan was planned in advance that we should be conformed. That word conform means to be fashioned like or made like the image or representation of Jesus Christ. This verse does not teach that you're going to become God. That you are going to be God. That's a heresy. Mormons teach that, by the way. That is not what this is teaching. There's only one God, and He's the creator of all. We, don't, we aren't going to become like Him, or we're going to become like Him, but we're not going to become Him. He's predestinated us to be like Christ. Conformed in fashion to his image. I pulled out a quarter this morning and actually had to go to the baby bottle that we're putting these all in. Maybe you're doing that. The baby bottle campaign we're doing for the, uh, the uh, I get the name wrong, the uh, Refuge Pregnancy Center. There we go. Thank you. Uh, so I had to go to that bottle and pull it out. Whose image is on the quarter? George Washington, very good. So if I put this in my pocket, do I have George Washington in my pocket? No. I have his image. His image has been stamped, pressed into the quarter. That's what God wants to do in our life. He's going to press into us his image. He wants us to become like him so that the world can see in us the image of Jesus Christ. God wants to make a permanent impression on our lives so that others can see Christ in us. That's not us becoming God or becoming Christ, but we are being like him in his image. That means we think like him, we talk like him, we walk like him, we give to others, the right impression of Jesus Christ. Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men 
that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. What God's trying to do for all of us is put his signature on our life. I read not long ago that the most expensive baseball ever sold, I want to take a guess how much, take three of my houses, (laughs) $635,000 for a baseball. Now you can go to Amazon and get one for eight bucks. Why so much for a baseball? Well, it wasn't the leather, it wasn't the baseball itself, it was the signatures that were on that baseball. Signatures like Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, Cy Young, (laughs) eight others, they're all in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Those signatures are valuable, apparently valuable to the point of paying $6,335,000. Wow, that's a baseball. But it was the signature on it that made it valuable. We are nothing without God putting his signature on our lives. When we got saved, we were positionally in his image. 1 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. So positionally, we're Christ-like at the moment of salvation. But in practice, we are progressively every day becoming more and more like Christ as he stamps his image on our life. We call that spiritual growth, sanctification, being set apart. It's a process. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we got saved, according to the Bible, we were of our father, the devil, before we got saved. And we brought some baggage with us into salvation. We still had this old flesh we had to deal with. And so things began to change in our life slowly. We may have cursed before we were saved. And after we were saved, you say that word and suddenly you realize, wow, wait, I shouldn't say that. That's not right. And the Holy Spirit inside of us begins to change us little by little. I shouldn't talk like that. I shouldn't do those things. I shouldn't act that way. And God begins to mold us into his image. It's spiritual growth. And it can't happen on our own. We can't do it on our own effort. It only happens as we get to the word of God and let the word of God be that transforming washing of the word in our lives. The old man then is passed away and all things become new, but in our life we progressively become more and more like Christ. Positionally, you're in Christ and progressively you're becoming more and more like Christ. First John chapter 3, verse 2 says, And we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. One day we will be permanently like Christ. We sing the song, Be like Jesus, this my song, in the home and in the throng. Be like Jesus all day long. I would be like Jesus. That's growth. And that's what we need to be having in our lives as a Christian. But the question is, are we choosing God's goal for our life? Do you want to be like Jesus? If you don't, then the rest of this passage isn't going to make sense. It's not going to make sense what all God is doing in our lives if we're not willing to seek God's goal for our life and become like Jesus. So number one, we must choose God's goal for our life. Number two, you must cooperate with God's growth in your life. 
cooperate with God's growth in your life. Because growing can be painful. Because we have and experience growing pains. Romans 8, 28, we know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. So we're changed into Christ's likeness through circumstances, through situations that God puts us in. We've got to ask ourselves, will I live for God through every circumstance God brings? Because He's changing me into His image. This growth takes work. Unfortunately, the average Christian thinks that though they get saved by grace, they come, become like Christ on their own. And it's not a work of our own that gets us to where we should be and makes us into God's image. It's a work of God. It's a work of grace that works in us. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. That word work is a term for energy. Where does the energy come from for us to become more like Christ and pressed into His image? That energy comes from the grace of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Okay, that's salvation. Verse number 10, For we are His, what's the next word? Workmanship. We're His workmanship. He's working in us, His grace in us, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, that He hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That word workmanship actually is an old English word for poem. God's creating His poem in our lives, His image in our lives. Here's what God's saying. If you'll cooperate with me, if you'll not fight me, if you'll not argue with me, if you'll act like you know that, that I know more than you do, then I'll create some circumstances in your life that'll help you grow up. I'll create some things in your life that'll bring you to that next step of becoming my image. But you can't grow in this way if you think you're smarter than God. Philippians 2.13, For it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. If you don't want to be like Jesus, then when God begins to work on your life and bring those circumstances into your life, you'll begin to argue. You'll get mad. You'll get bitter. How many of you, like me, have ever fought with God? How many of you have ever run from God? Ever backslidden when you've experienced suffering or difficulty or pain? No one's raising their hand. I guess I'm the only one. Yeah. And it's because we weren't following God's way. You can either fight God or follow God. I was telling the teens in Sunday school class, smart people follow God, dumb people fight God. Smart people follow God, dumb people fight God. Could anybody stand up and give me a testimony of a time in your life that you fought God and won? No, doesn't happen. Could you take me to the Bible and show me anywhere in the Bible where someone fought God's way and things turned out better for their life? No. Smart people follow God, dumb people fight God. We need to follow God's way, though it 
we can't understand it, though the circumstances seem overwhelming. So God's going to bring things in our life, and the energy is coming from God. Exciting thing about this is that energy is inside. God, the Holy Spirit, you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, is living inside of you. And he has that energy to do what is right in the midst of difficult circumstances and to grow in grace and become more like the image of God. But we've got to tap into that energy. It's like the plug-in of a vacuum. The vacuum does absolutely nothing until you go to that electrical outlet and plug it in. We need to be plugged into the Holy Spirit. Let the energy of the Holy Spirit build us up and press us into His image, the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Then we have that word together. So work, that's the energy. And then together, that word work with, together with the word together, actually brings us to the word synergy. That's a cool word, isn't it? Synergy. God is growing us, making us conform to his image, and he'll bring things that come up in our lives that in and of themselves are not good. They're hard. This verse does not say all things are good. Because they're not. And that's when people get bitter. That's where we as Christians get it wrong. And, and we struggle because things are not all good. We deal with hardships, tragedies, difficulties because of this sinful world that we live in. So we've got to look at this passage correctly. Why did this hurt happen? Hey, I've been going to church. I've been doing things at revival meeting. I've been helping out with vacation Bible school. I'm doing the nursery. I'm doing these things for God. I'm living for God. But then I get cancer. Then this happened. Then, and we get upset because we don't understand Romans 8.28 and what he's saying here. It's not all good. That's a lie. You ever hear the phrase, it'll all work out? It's not necessarily true. It's not all good, not all things work out, especially not the way we think, but if we are following God, if we are understanding God's goal for our life, we'll love Him and trust Him through the circumstance, and He will synergize it in our life together for His ultimate glory and good. And His image will be stamped into our lives. His signature will be written in our hearts. But it could be painful before it's profitable. When we come to this with the right kind of understanding, we can understand what happens in this world now because God ultimately is in control. The world understands this philosophy that they have to experience difficult things. They understand growing pains. They understand how this works. Finish this phrase for me. No pain. How'd you know that? How'd we know that? That's just a reality of life. No pain, no gain. 
Why do we think it's any different for us as Christians? The spiritual gain happens when the difficult, difficult things in life happen. So the world understands it. We as Christians should understand that and live every bit of our lives prepared to do whatever God wants to do in our lives. Paul said, whether I live therefore or die, I'm the Lord's. It's his choice to do with me what he wants. He's got his eternal glory in mind and his image being stamped on my life. Let him synergize it and work together with God to make it happen in my life. He does the work in me. You ever do a puzzle? Ah, we love doing puzzles at our house. Actually, I, myself and Loren, we're the only ones that do it. The rest don't like it at all. But Sophie, every once in a while, comes up to try help with the puzzle piece, right? And she grabs a puzzle piece and <coughs> tries to get it in place. Daddy, this one's a bad one. Throw it out. This one doesn't work. Oh, it works somewhere. And you look at the pieces, and some of the pieces, whew, wow, I have no clue. You know, it's the same black and you got 50 other million black, blue pieces and the sky pieces and all the same. How in the world does it go together? We have no clue. We don't understand. And it's only little by little. And the piece itself is not glamorous. It's, it's like, why in the world is this piece? Does it even go with this puzzle? Are you sure? The piece is not glamorous. But God has a purpose for that piece in our lives. And when he fits it into our lives, it makes that perfect, beautiful picture. We've got to make up our mind that he knows more than we do. And he's got this. It was in 1936 that a girl named Betty was born. Within three years, Betty was diagnosed with spinal meningitis. And she became deaf. Her parents were in full-time evangelism. They were serving God. And they just couldn't believe that they held, as they held this little three-year-old that she couldn't hear. So it was in 1953, a man named Bill, that was her dad, he bought a piece of property in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. The whole reason he bought the property was because he wanted to start a camp for deaf children. He said, I had to teach my daughter sign language, and there are others that need to learn this too. So they started with 12 children. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called the Bill Rice Ranch. God used that difficult circumstance in their life. And Billy, Bill and Kathy Rice determined that they were going to follow God's purpose for their life. And they allowed God to work in their lives. And they said, this is going to be painful, but it's going to be profitable. It's going to be hard, but it's going to be helpful. There's no telling how many thousands of deaf children are on their way to heaven now because of their work that they started. God had a purpose and a plan for it all along, and He's synergized in their life to bring that plan to pass. He's blending it all together for His good. And, and we've all heard the illustration, right, of the pound cake, that the ingredients themselves are awful. Uh, you know, you, you take the pound cake, and how many of you just eat a straight stick of butter? You know, just take the spoonful of butter. No, we don't like that the handful of flour, we'd never eat it by itself. But you take that pound cake and you mix it together. All those ingredients blend together. 
And then you put it in the oven and add heat. We could stop there and preach a while. And then you have to add some patience. You've got to wait for it. There's time. And what comes out is an amazing pound cake that tastes delicious. Think about Calvary for a moment. The cross of Calvary itself was ugly. The crucifixion was not pretty. There are a lot of people that like to take blood out of the Bible and because and it's so gory. Well, it was gory. It was awful. It was ugly. But when we understand Romans 8, 28 and what God was doing, we understand the crucifixion and the standpoint that this ugly thing that happened over 2,000 years ago for six hours while Jesus was on the cross, God was blending together the blood of His Son with His grace, His mercy, and the most beautiful outcome in the world that could ever happen was our salvation. Jesus dying for our sins on the cross. And then He rose again, and God knew what He was doing all along. <coughs> God's purpose and His plan was fulfilled. When bad things happen, we shouldn't jump ship. We shouldn't get mad. We shouldn't shake our fist at God. We need to trust Him. So you've got to choose God's goal for your life. You've got to cooperate with God's goal for your life. Number three, and we're done, you need to celebrate God's guarantee for your life. Celebrate God's guarantee for your life. The Bible says all things work together for good. The word good is interesting. The word good means beneficial, useful, donates, de denotes excellence. In and of themselves, a lot of things are not good. But here's God's guarantee. If you'll keep loving me, if you'll trust me, when tragedy strikes, when the car accident happens, when cancer and death come in, in your life, you can keep understanding God's goal for your life. That God is good. Then there becomes a benefit for the emotional and physical hurt and pain. If you'll keep loving Jesus and you'll keep trusting Him, God will blend it together and there will be a benefit. <coughs> There's an immediate benefit that God does for you. God changes you. He's pressing you into His, in, His image. And there are certain things God wants to do in your life that you need to learn through those tough times. You personally need to grow, like Job, who in the end said, God, you're God, I'm nothing. And he repented in dust and ashes, and God made him a stronger Christian through those difficulties. God's making us stronger. He's growing us through those pains. There's a benefit not only to us, but there's a benefit to others around us. The church is helped by your growth. The church can only grow spiritually as we as individuals grow spiritually. So God grows us individually in spiritual life, and then we as a church together can be what we ought to be for God. I think even as, as the church grows in numbers, there's a growth there. Think about the early church and what they experienced. <laughs> Phenomenal growth right from the start, right? And what they begin to have trouble with? 
Uh-oh, the widows, they're getting neglected. What do we need? We need deacons. God's growing the church. And then the deacons, they go out and preach, and Peter, or Stephen, gets stoned to death. What's God doing? That hurt. That was hard for the church. But God's growing the church. And the church grows. And God used that persecution in the early church to spread the gospel all across the world. God had a purpose for it. So the pain brought them to where they should be. There's a benefit for you. There's a benefit for others. And ultimately, there's an ultimate benefit. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verses 16 to 17. We'll finish with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 17. The Bible says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. And then Paul says, For our light affliction. Light affliction, Paul what did you just go through? Paul had gone through some difficult stuff. He was beaten. He was in prison in chains. He was in a shipwreck. Look at what Paul went through. That, that's light affliction. Says he's been a day and a night in the deep. Uh, Forty stripes save one. Went to jail constantly. That's what Paul said was light affliction. He says, but for a moment. By the way, we all have just a but a moment here on earth, don't we? When we die, we'll have that tombstone, and between those two dates, there'll be a dash. There's our life, the dash. It's but for a moment. But it worketh for us. There's that energy, God doing it for us, pressing us into His image, worketh for us a far more exceeding internal, eternal weight of glory. Not for things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are not seen, or things which are seen are temporal. Those things are right here in front of us. The world seeks that gain in their life, and they, they strive for it through the pain of working hard, through the pain of gaining more money, a, a bigger car, a better house, a, a greater this, a greater that, and all those things are just going to disappear. They're going to go away. They're nothing when they get die. What are we working for? We're working for an eternal weight of glory. We're letting God work in us for His ultimate good. So we need to say, God, though I don't understand it, I'll love you. I'll live for you in spite of everything. I'll let God change me and grow me through pain to become His image, so that when others look at me, they see Christ. One day when I get to the other side, it'll be worth it all. And we'll say, God, I've lived for you. I've become like Jesus. Will you let God do that in your life today? God, we're so grateful and thankful for your word. Lord, how it's challenged me to be more like you and to allow you to press me into your perfect image and mold. <clears throat> and help us, Lord, to understand that that's not always a, a pretty picture. 
but you are good. And we can trust you. We can live for you and we can experience the joy of walking with you each and every day and knowing what you're going to do ultimately is for our good. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you that we can trust your word. Help us to continue to trust you through each and every trial. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.